I'm licensed psychotherapist Greg Woodhill. Welcome to a Brave New Man podcast. On this show, we speak with both experts and non-experts in our goal of exploring all the ways that men are already getting it right, acknowledging all the ways that we're getting it wrong, and most importantly, learning how we can fix what needs to be fixed in order to have healthier, happier relationships and lives. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, welcome to today's podcast. I hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world. Today, we're going to be talking out loud about a topic that most people only whisper about, and that is erectile dysfunction. Everybody knows somebody who has experienced some sort of erectile dysfunction in their lives, but I guarantee you that the number of people you've talked to about it is significantly lower than the actual number of people who have experienced it. Why is that? It's because most men who have dealt with erectile dysfunction, they don't talk about it because they feel some sort of mixture of embarrassment, fear, or shame. Well, happily, our conversation with certified sex therapist Natalie Feingood Goldberg illustrates that many, many, many people have experienced some type of erectile dysfunction, which means that it is much more common than most people think and that people aren't as alone with it as they think they are. In this interview, we cover some of the myths and statistics on erectile dysfunction, as well as the causes and the treatments for it. You probably won't be surprised to hear that pornography use comes up as a possible cause of erectile dysfunction in young men, and I'll be saying something more about that a little later. But for now, let me introduce you to Natalie Feingood Goldberg. Natalie is an ASECT certified sex therapist and a licensed marriage and family therapist specializing in sex therapy for men and women. In her Beverly Hills practice, she works with individuals and couples with a focus on erectile concerns, pelvic pain, and couples with mismatched desire or other sexual problems. In addition to providing sex therapy, Natalie regularly offers sex therapy trainings to assist other therapists in learning how to work with sexual concerns. So open your hearts, open your minds, and let's talk about erectile dysfunction. Here's Natalie. Hi, Natalie. Hey, Greg. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. We're talking about something that is extremely important today. And what I said in the intro is everybody knows somebody who has experienced some sort of erectile dysfunction. They may not know that that person has experienced it, but it is something that is so widespread and so little talked about that I wanted you to come on as an expert and someone who deals with this in your practice and in your studies to really help us understand it more so that we can get what's happening amidst all the cliches that are out there. So I'm really grateful you're here to talk about it, and thanks for being here. I'm happy to talk about it. I agree that it definitely does not get addressed or talked about nearly as often as it actually happens. Right. That that we know. (laughs) Well, can we just start with a super vague question, which is in layman's terms, what is erectile dysfunction? So the big misconception is that erectile dysfunction is when you don't get an erection or when you lose your erection. Okay. The misconception piece is the frequency. Oh, I have actually had people call me who are, let's say, like in their 30s and have been having regular sex since their 20s. You know, sometimes they will have had one experience where they've lost their erection. Okay. And they call me and say, I have erectile dysfunction. I need help. So the good news is, is that doesn't qualify. Okay. So you're saying if there's a problem once 
or maybe twice, you're saying that doesn't qualify as erectile dysfunction? No. Okay. That is like a one-off mishap. Something was just not adding up. Okay. Something wasn't working out. Yeah. So erectile dysfunction, in order for it to really qualify for an official diagnosis, yeah. it has to be happening more than like 30% of the time. More than 30% of the time. And what we're talking about is... A man when... When he either doesn't get an erection or loses his erection prior to orgasm. Okay, sure. Either not being able to get an erection or losing an erection when they're in a sexual situation where they want to have an erection, where they're aroused mentally, emotionally, but not aroused physically. Correct. Okay, I understand. And they lose their erection prior to orgasm or prior to when they want to. Okay, are there any myths or misunderstandings or statistics that you would let us know about that we don't already know about, potentially? Absolutely. So according to the Massachusetts Male Aging Study, which I think is the most recent and most comprehensive erectile dysfunction study, basically the numbers are something to the effect of 40% of men who are 40 years old will have experienced some form of erectile dysfunction. Wow. And then as men reach 50, 50% of those men will have experienced some sort of erectile dysfunction. And it increases by 10% with each decade. Wow. So 60% of 60-year-old men, et cetera. Yes. That seems pretty high. It is. So that is the first statistic that I think is super important. Okay. Another unknown reality about erectile dysfunction is that often there is a belief that I should be able to think about sex and get hard. Okay. And for most teenagers, that's the case. Mm. But the reality is, is that for most men right around the age of 25, some earlier, some later, but 25 is sort of the tipping point, Mm -hmm. there comes a point where a man will actually need literal physical stimulation in order to get an erection. Okay. So you are no longer that teenager who thinks about your crush and gets hard. Yes. You actually need your partner or whomever Mm -hmm. to physically touch your penis. Yes. Or you need to physically touch your penis in order for your erection to begin. Yeah. And, And I can imagine people, as you said before, coming to therapy or or more so ruminating in their own head that something's right. wrong with them because they have this preconceived idea of how it's supposed to be. Right. So somebody who's in their 30s comes in and says, I was making out with my partner and I couldn't get hard and I started to freak out. So in those moments, I let the person know that's actually not that uncommon. And yeah. making out at this point in your physical age, it sometimes is not enough in order to get an erection. Sure. What are the causes of erectile dysfunction? There are so many causes that (laughs) people either don't acknowledge or dismiss or ignore Mm. or just don't know about. Um, The pretty standard ones are... The medical ones, which are, you know, heart problems, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, Mm -hmm. poor circulation. Erections are very much a function of blood flow. So if you have any medical issue that impedes your blood flow, it's going to impact your erections. Um, Anything neurological, so like MS, some symptoms for people who have diabetes um, as they develop some neuralgia or some neuropathy. That's that can be a side effect in yes. those situations. So you're talking about 
organic medical causes, medical neurological causes that will change the blood flow and make that make that a problem. That will change the blood flow or change the physical sensitivity as okay. it relates to like your nerve endings. Yes. So those are the medical ones. Yes. And then there's also medication ones. So plenty of antidepressants, as we know, have sexual side effects. Okay. Um, beyond that, what people often don't know is that if you have let's say, high blood pressure or heart disease, and you take a medication for that, oftentimes those medications also will impact. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So those are the first rule outs, I think, is what you're talking about. Right. It's like, is there some type of medication I'm taking or something happening organically, medically with me right. that I need to take care of because it's just merely, this is a symptom of something that's happening within my body. Right. Like doctors actually used to use erectile dysfunction, sort of like the canary in the coal mine. Oh. So if you were coming to your doctor as an older man with erectile dysfunction, that would often be an indication of let's check your heart, let's check your blood pressure. I see, sure. You know, because it is a symptom. Yes. Mm-hmm. So there are quite obviously then psychological mental reasons this happens as well. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. Tell us about those. So we're seeing a lot more of these in men who are in their 20s and 30s you know these are young men who there's no reason for them to have any heart issues cholesterol blood pressure neuropathy um etc we're seeing that more now these days you're saying way more oh why my personal opinion is that it is a combination between sexual misinformation Mm. uh, a lack of sex education and then that combined with the use of pornography, okay, um, which I can say more about in a few minutes. <laughs> Great. Okay. So, meaning that it's it's something that when it's not an organic medical condition like you were talking about, it can be all in someone's head. Oh, absolutely. What I consider so shitty about this entire thing that we're talking about is like it's God's cruel trick that when this happens to a man, the more he thinks and worries about it, the bigger of a problem it is. It is. It's this really vicious cycle. The more anxious you get about it, the worse it makes the problem. Okay. It's very cyclical in that regard. Well, we're, we're going to be talking today about what to do about that and how you work with clients. And mm-hmm. I know we're going to come up on that in a while. But I want to ask you first, Natalie, what toll does this take on men mentally and emotionally? It's really devastating. I mean, I have some clients who are in their 20s. I've had clients in their 30s who will not enter into a sexual situation because they are so paralyzed with fear that they won't be able to get or maintain an erection. Wow. So it's really limiting themselves and what they want in their life. Yes. It starts with, I don't want to go on a date, but then it evolves into how am I ever going to marry someone? How am I ever going to have kids? And it is just sort of the ripple effect from there. Yeah. So I imagine there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of sadness, and then I'm guessing a lot of shame. Yeah. So I mean, the the situation that I just described is certainly one of the more extreme situations. Okay. But yes, in terms of an on an everyday experience or a more common level, There's a lot of shame, feelings of inadequacy, fear that their partner will leave them, fear that they will be alone. Mm. If they are alone currently, fear that they will never find someone who understands. Wow. Yeah, it can be very 
I would say one of the more common experiences I see is that it's very isolating. Wow, I can understand why, yeah. Because there's the fear of entering into a relationship with a partner, but then it's also coupled with the fear of talking about it with anyone. Of course, because they're feeling so much fear and shame about it, is that right? Right. So you, in most cases, might be the only person that that man is talking to this about, is that right? Yeah, that has definitely been the case Okay. in quite a few situations. Do they talk about how it feels to have someone they can come talk about it openly with, like you, especially a woman? I have a lot of clients who have acknowledged the fact that they probably wouldn't feel comfortable talking about it with a male. Okay. Um, so they sought me out intentionally because I was a female. Mm, mm-hmm. I have had countless clients say, you are the first person I've ever told this to. Wow. Yeah. That's a very common statement. And, you know, that is often paired with difficulty looking me in the eye, Mm. their head is down, Mm -hmm. they're sort of curled up a little bit on the couch, you know, very difficult to kind of engage while sharing about it. Sure. And I'm imagining, I've known you as a clinician for many years, that you meet them with a lot of love and a lot of understanding and compassion. And I imagine that helps quite a lot. I hope so. (laughs) I certainly hope so. Yeah, sure. Well, then how do you work with... Obviously, we're talking about many different ways that this shows up medically and psychologically. How do you work with a man who comes to you for treatment for erectile dysfunction? So it tends to manifest in two ways. The first type is the super anxious individual. Okay. They replay the thought in their head. What if I lose my erection? What if I lose my erection? What if I can't please them? What if this doesn't work? And so with those clients, a big part of it begins with challenging those thoughts Uh. and looking at the, you know, can it be okay to lose your erection? Mm. I sort of like to describe it as like the Zen approach. There's a, a martial arts practice where it's all about working with the energy moving towards you. Okay. Like, so when somebody punches you, you're supposed to work with it rather than resist it. So I really try to encourage that approach of rather than sort of trying to fight this thing, why not kind of just work with it, mm. welcome it, notice it, be with it, rather than extending all of this anxious energy towards fighting against it. So if you say that to a client and he says back to you, uh, I don't want to accept it. I don't want, I'm anxious. I want it to go away, make it go away. Uh, first of all, that's part of that same thought pattern. But what right. do you say to that person? Because I imagine some people say that. Oh, yeah. Plenty of people don't want to hear that. Okay. So if they're not willing to hear it or if they're not willing to work in that way, you know, that's their choice. That's how they know best what will work for them. Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, then we sort of shift gears and we work towards following those anxious thoughts through and challenging them. So, okay, let's say a sexual experience doesn't go the way you want it to. Is it really true that your partner is going to leave you over this? Mm, I see. And Um, another one I, I can imagine is, is it really true that I'm less of a man less lovable, less worthy, that these these judgments, these shameful things, right. these thoughts that are leading to these shameful feelings, right. you challenge those as well. Absolutely. Okay. And then another big part of it is really trying to help them get out of their head. How? That must be so difficult to do. It is. It is. Because these are people who really live in their head. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I hate to be the cliche therapist talking about mindfulness, mm. but, you know, sometimes I try not to even use that word because okay. it has such a buzz to it right now. Mm. 
But what I really encourage is focusing on sensations. Oh, okay. Because that is a big part of mindfulness. Yeah. And sex is a perfect opportunity to focus on sensations. Mm -hmm. I mean, I will literally say to a man, focus on the sensations in your penis. Wow. Like, what does it feel like if you're with a woman? What does it feel like to have your partner's vagina around your penis? Mm -hmm. What do you notice about that? What does it feel like to move inside and outside of her vagina? Mm -hmm. And if he says, well, I'm at the stage right now where I'm not there because at this moment I can't get an erection. Do you also work with them on feeling sensations aside other than that? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, like other ways to incorporate sensations. So if that includes like having your partner masturbate you Mm, or mm -hmm. the use of toys, anything that will create sensation really. Okay, right. Yeah. What about sensation like as far as do you work with them on decentralizing their thoughts about their erection being what sex is all about? Uh, massage or or just connecting with their partner in bed? Like like you had said to me before, I've heard you say, like creating a new mind frame about what it's even like to be in a sexual situation with somebody. To focus more on the intimacy or the connection rather than it being all about that one thing. Yeah. So again, like also this can be utilizing sensation as well, you know, utilizing other parts of their body. Mm -hmm. You know, sex doesn't have to end if their penis isn't erect. They still have hands, they still have a mouth. And in addition to that, they still have access to their own sensations. Yes. So what is a common pathway? I'm sure that there's no such thing. But when you work with these men, what is it that you see? How do they report back to you? How does it go? Well, so I had started to say that there were two different types that tend to present. There is sort of the hyper-anxious type. And then there is, I guess we could just call it sort of the misinformed type. Okay. And the misinformed type tend to be the men who believe that sex pretty much begins and ends with their erection. Okay. And so if they don't have a hard erection, then sex is pointless. Mm, And so with those clients, and, and also with the anxious clients as well, There's a lot of education on other ways to be sexual. Mm. One of the things that I tell almost every client I have, couples, individuals, male, female, whatever gender they identify with, is the broader your definition of sex, the more sex you can be having. (laughs) That sounds great. (laughs) Right? Not a bad deal. Yeah. So really, you know, if you limit your definition of sex to intercourse, then it's going to be limited. Sure. Versus if you include in that definition a heavy petting session or Mm. oral sex Mm -hmm. or mutual masturbation or one person masturbates and the other helps, Mm -hmm. you know, there are so many more options we're looking at. Yes. You mentioned before that pornography is one of the reasons that young men come in with any sort of erectile dysfunction. Why? And how do you help them with that? So this is such a political hot button topic right now. I've heard that. Um, So I will just sort of weigh in on my personal experience with the clients I have seen and worked with. Great. You know, and there are all sorts of Reddit threads about this. There are some people who have come up with the term PIED, porn-induced erectile dysfunction. And I can also vouch for the fact that, you know, I work with a lot of urologists and they are sending me lots of 20 and 30-year-olds that are experiencing erectile dysfunction that, you know, this was not the case 
15, 20 years ago. Yes. And, and are they finding that there's no medical problem? Yes, okay. exactly. That's why they get sent to you? Yes. Okay, I see. <laughs> sure. So do you educate them on that? Or is that a, that's part of what you assess for, I imagine? It's part of the assessment in that... You know, I really try to make a point of not demonizing porn. I'm not morally opposed to it. You know, some people have the feelings around it is misogynistic or it is abusive towards women. You know, I don't weigh in on any of that. Mm -hmm. From my perspective, it's more about the associations that people make with sexuality and with their arousal and how it's really difficult to recreate that in the bedroom. Okay. So is it hard to recreate what they're seeing in porn or is it hard to recreate the experience they're having with this two-dimensional machine? All of the above. Okay, okay. It is hard to recreate what they're seeing in terms of the scenes because the scenes are generally shot for visual purposes, yes, not pleasure purposes. So the positions aren't always the most arousing. Um, they're not always the most realistic. Yeah. They're more set up for the shot and the the imagery mm -hmm. than the actual pleasure. Yeah. And then there is also the two-dimensional piece of, you know, sex itself can be smelly, it can be mm. noisy, it yeah. can be awkward. I just read this amazing uh, statistic that said 50% of both men and women at some point have fallen off the bed during sex. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you don't wow. see that in porn. No, You don't see that. <laughs> it's happened, but they cut it out, don't they? Right. So if somebody is engaging in a lot of porn behavior and they find themselves in your office because they're having erectile dysfunction, you educate them, it sounds like, and you demystify the situation and kind of explain one plus one equals two. Right. Okay. Right. I mean, some of the other elements that play a role is the piece of with porn, you can essentially custom order the exact sex you want. Sure. Do you want to have a threesome today? Yeah. Do you want to watch MILF porn? Mm. Do you want to watch a cuckold. So it's sort of like on demand of whatever flavor of the day. Yes. And real sex isn't always like that. No. Particularly if you're in a monogamous relationship, yeah. that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. And I imagine that intimacy plays into your treatment plan with men who come for erectile dysfunction. Is that right? Absolutely. As it relates to porn, somebody who masturbates to porn has zero concern or need to take care of a partner. Sure. It's all about them and their own pleasure. Yeah. And so when you put another person in the room with subjective wants, needs, and desires for some partners, both men and women, that adds a whole new dimension of what am I doing? Do they like this? Am I pleasing them? Are they pleasing me? Yeah. So that interpersonal piece, you don't have to worry about that with porn. That's right. So how do you work with them on integrating that into their real life because when you say it right now <laughs> yeah. it just makes sense i get that right. is it is a part of it like you walking them through that like thinking through their current or future sexual escapades and saying this is what it's going to be like that's normal that's okay that's healthy you're still doing it right, right even though it doesn't feel like what you're used to in porn yeah, I mean, one question that I always like to check in with people about is how comfortable or how confident do you feel engaging your partner's pleasure? Okay. 
So, you know, do you feel like you have a good read on if they're enjoying themselves or not? Mm-hmm. Um, some people will say yes. And some people will say, well, I'm not really sure. My partner's really quiet mm-hmm. or they're pretty neutral. So talking about ways that they can start to read their partner a little better. Um, and then actually for some people who experience erectile dysfunction, the problem is that they're actually overly reading their partner. They're they're so hyper-focused on, are they enjoying themselves? Or Mm -hmm. do they like this? Do they like that? So part of it is sometimes helping them to really shift the focus on themselves and and stop worrying about their partner. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what what I'm hearing from you, Natalie, is that there's just so much more to sex as you define it, which is a very Mm -hmm. wide definition of everything that is Uh, sensual or sexual or intimate with a partner and not having it be so phallocentric, so focused on me. Am I doing it right? Why don't I have an erection? If I don't have an erection, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing enough. I'm not a man. And really allowing them to to just like any other situation in life, like it's okay. It's okay to be human. It's okay to have nerves and fears and to be in an imperfect sexual situation where you're not coming off like an edited porn star in a scene. Right. Because the more you try to make it perfect, the less likely it will be fun or enjoyable or perfect. Yeah, of course. (laughs) So if a man is experiencing any sort of erectile dysfunction, what order does he put all the things you're saying here today? What's his first stop? So I always start with the question of... Do you have any trouble with your erection when you masturbate or do you wake up with morning erections? Okay. So if the answer is yes to that question, does that mean they can rule out any sort of medical diagnosis? So if a person has the same issues with erectile dysfunction while masturbating as they do with a partner, that is usually an indication that there is something physical that could be problematic and it's really worth meeting with a doctor. Okay. If they have no problems getting or maintaining an erection during masturbation, but they do with a partner, then it usually points to the interpersonal piece. Okay. Similarly, if a person wakes up regularly with morning erections, it's often an indication that their blood flow is working, it's functional. Okay. Whereas if it's been quite some time since they woke up with morning erections or had nocturnal erections, then that can generally indicate something as it relates to the blood flow. Okay, so that's a really important delineation. So if they find themselves in the category where they are waking up with morning erections or they have erections when they masturbate, then the best course of treatment is to go talk to somebody about it, go research, go deal with the things you were saying. Right, the is, the, is the psychotherapy approach. Yes. And yes. if someone has not, like you were saying a moment ago, that means that they don't get an erection in the morning, that they can't get an erection when they masturbate, then a urologist is the next step for them. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. So what resources can somebody go to that you could direct them toward right now as far as whether it's books or websites or anything that you would say, what resources would you guide someone toward if they're experiencing erectile dysfunction to start? So the beginning resources that I like to send most clients home with after our first session is a urology referral if they need it. Okay. And then in addition to that is the education piece. Mm -hmm. There's a really great book. Um, I think it is one of the most thorough ones on the market. 
Um, for some reason, it's not available on Kindle, which is very bizarre to me because yes. everybody wants to read it discreetly. Yeah. But it's called Coping with Erectile Dysfunction okay. by Metz and McCarthy. Okay. It's the most comprehensive resource I have found thus far. Great. And so I like to send them home with that book recommendation. Yeah. And I also like to encourage them to begin a meditation practice. Okay. A meditation practice. Why? So the meditation practice is to help develop the muscle of managing their anxiety as it relates to the looping thoughts or the distraction that the thoughts cause. Brilliant. So you're talking about them getting into their bodies, right. into their breath, into their brain, and, right. being, uh, and just settling into a non-anxious state. Right. Okay. Generally, how I explain it to people is that, you know, as it relates to meditation, it is the most helpful when you practice it regularly. Okay. You know, it's sort of like if you want to run a marathon, you can't just show up that day and run it. You <laughs> have right. to train for it. Sure. And then when the time comes, your body is prepared. And mm. so meditation is really similar. You know, if you meditate once in a while, it's not going to help you in those moments of anxiety. Whereas yeah. if it's a regular practice it kicks in much faster. Yeah. So it's a combination of managing the anxious thoughts, but it's, and then also, like you said, helping them to get into their bodies and be present in their bodies. So oftentimes I will recommend a meditation that focuses on like a body scan, for okay. example. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> when you talk about urologists and people going to see the doctor that we don't have time to go into that here today, <laughs> but suffice it to say the urologist knows where to go, whether it's medication, whether right. it's any sort of physical treatment, they can diagnose and assess and then create a treatment plan with that person that they can right. deal with with their MD. Right. Okay. There are different tests that they can do to check blood flow, to check sensitivity. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for being here, Natalie. I, I find you just such a great resource on this topic. And if somebody, and I wouldn't be surprised, hears this interview and thinks, I wouldn't mind getting some of her help for this issue or others, how do they find you? So the best way to find me is via my website, which is creatingchangela.com um, or via email, which is natalie at creatingchangela.com as well. Great. So they can get a hold of you. And, and on your website, I imagine you have information as well as how to contact you. I do. I have all my contact information on there. Great. Thank you so much for the work that you do. And thanks for sharing that knowledge with us here today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so what now? First of all, let's remember that Natalie says that not getting an erection once or twice does not qualify for erectile dysfunction, so feel free to relax if that's been the case in your life. She says that it takes not getting or not keeping an erection more than 30% of the time in order to qualify. So if that's the case for you or for someone you know, the first question you need to contemplate is, do you get erections when you masturbate or when you wake up in the morning? If you don't, your first step is to get checked out by a urologist and then a neurologist so they can rule out any medical issues that you may be facing and they want to make sure that everything is okay in your body. Now, if you are able to get an erection in those aforementioned situations, then it's time to go to what Natalie calls the psychotherapy route. That doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go pay for a therapist, although it might be a great idea to go talk to somebody who day and night talks about this topic, but it does mean that it's time to examine what's going on in your thoughts and feelings that may be creating this situation. 
Natalie recommends the book Coping with Erectile Dysfunction by Metz and McCarthy. That seems like a hell of a good start to me. But I recommend, as with most things, that you go talk to somebody about it. Let other people in on what's going on in your life, especially people who know what to do about it. You can work with mindfulness, anxiety reduction strategies, resources, and the overall de-shaming of the situation. Because it's okay. You're in good company. It happens way, way, way more than people talk about. She also recommends focusing on all types of sensations in physical intimacy and my favorite, redefining sex altogether. She said the broader your definition of sex, the more sex you can be having. That sounds fantastic to me. Can all types of physical intimacy be defined as sex so that we can be happy and joyful about how much sex we're having? Focus on your pleasure and your partner's pleasure at the same time, because being 100% focused on one or the other can take us out of the experience of sex. Now, if you are one of those people who find yourself having erectile dysfunction and you have a steady diet of porn in your life, I got to give you a little suggestion to take a month off just as an experiment. I'm not demonizing porn. I'm not saying that you can't have it at all in your life, and I'm not saying it's bad or wrong. What I am saying is that it's possible that it's playing a part in the wiring of your brain so that when you're in real-life sexual situations, your body isn't ready to respond like it is with porn. So do an experiment. Take a month, no porn, no masturbation, and see what happens. I have known a lot of men who did that, and they found themselves feeling very different when they were with a real-life partner. Why not give it a try? Now, if you are the partner of a man who experiences erectile dysfunction, be compassionate. Hopefully, when you heard Natalie's words in this interview, you realize how much somebody with erectile dysfunction puts on themselves, how much anxiety, how much shame, how much fear. Open your heart. Listen take it slow, have fun, and remember that sex doesn't necessarily mean intercourse. Play, focus on sensation, allow sex to be very, very broad in its definition so that you and your partner can build up the confidence and build up the connection between the two of you so that sex can be exciting again. So keep an open mind, keep an open heart. Let's bring all the playfulness and fun back into sex again. Have fun. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to A Brave New Man Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to A Brave New Man on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And come follow us on Instagram at A Brave New Man Pod. That's A Brave New Man P-O-D for updates on the show and our daily words of wisdom. See you next time.